Hello and welcome to episode number 68 of the At U2 podcast, where we talk all things U2, new album news, tour dates, and community discussions from the staff of At U2.com. You can find links to what we discuss in this episode at goodstuff.fm slash ATU2 slash 68. On this episode, we're devoting our entire hour to an interview with Neil McCormick, who is the Daily Telegraph's chief pop and rock music critic. He is an author, radio pundit, and television presenter, and I guess he can add podcast guest to that resume now, I suppose, with his own music weekly interview show, Neil McCormick's Needle Time, broadcast on Vintage TV. In his own words, none of this, however, remotely compensates for being a failed rock star, haunted by witnessing his friend Bono rise to global superstardom. We talked with Neil about his book, Zero, which he has crowdfunding support for, and he shares where he drew inspiration for his story of a lost boy trying to escape from himself in the full glare of modern media. Let's jump right into our conversation with Neil McCormick. You're the song. I mean, is he taking the piss now or what? He still hasn't found what he's looking for. He has got everything he ever wanted. Well, welcome to the podcast, Neil. It's it's great to have you on the show to talk about your book and about your uh connection to U2, I guess, is the, the obvious one for the podcast, but since yeah. this is the U2 podcast, but, uh, and uh, just fun music history that you have connections to. But uh, so before we get any further, I just want to let people know, um, you can, the, the, one of the reasons Neil's on the show is to talk about his book, like I said, that he's doing crowdfunding for, which you can visit unbound.com slash books slash zero to support, get your copy pick one of the reward levels, which we'll talk about in a bit. And uh, so even while you're listening to the, the sounds of us talking, you can go visit that site and get your get in the queue to get your copy of, of Zero when it comes out. So um, the book is titled Hashtag Zero. And so if, I just wanted to know, I guess, where, where, where and who is Zero in the world today? <laughs> uh, hashtag, yeah, it's called Hashtag Zero because, you know, hashtags are the modern thing so the kids tell me uh, he zero is a pop star he's a fictional pop star um i wanted to write about fame i want to write about many things family really uh psychology creativity but uh, through the bubble of fame which is this modern day ultra obsession we see fame destroying lives destroying psyches we see it as you know a poisonous toxic substance that's pretty clear and yet uh you know our society still seems to crave it this 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 selfie society that we have and i wanted to be able to write about that and you know i know pop music i know the music business i have been behind the cordon you know uh because of my friendship with you two, which goes back to my school days, I have, you know, behind, been behind the cordon of superstardom where you can uh, see the machine that operates, that creates this bubble around people. And I, I've seen that with them. And now I've seen it from the other side as a, you know, in a, as a musician in a struggling band and as a journalist writing about bands, interviewing and I've got just so much information about the kind of character and texture of all of this that it just um, it just seemed the right mise en scene for for me to write about. In the fictional world, I guess, 
crossing over to the real world somehow. Would Zero even want to work with you two, or is you two too old and too <laughs> of a different era that he his, his ego is too big for Bono even? Uh, his ego is pretty big, I have to say. But but um, uh, yeah, his ego is big in the way that egos in pop music often are big and fragile. Big because they are actually uh, uh, they're kind of an ego plastered over the problems of an id they are you know beneath the 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 self-aggrandizing pomp is just uh fear and loss and absence you know this is a conversation that i've had with bono many times it's the conversation that we're having in killing bono it's a conversation we return to in u2 by u2 which is about the black hole the need for unconditional love of strangers that drives so much stardom. Uh, and Zero has got that. But he does come across, uh, you two in the book, he does uh, come across Bono. In my original draft of this book, which I've spent quite a long time writing in different iterations, uh, it was completely in a metafictional universe, and Zero was the only fictional pop star in it. Everybody else was, was real. You know, I, I had populated it with all the artists of the day that proved slightly problematic because uh, for one thing, the artists of the day are constantly changing. And so, you know, if you're writing a draft and uh, Jesse J is a big pop star at that moment and you slip her in, and then by the time you finish the draft, people are going, who the heck is Jesse J? <laughs> um, and there's somebody else. I, I also, you know, I started to feel that I've got morally queasy about inventing scenes for real people. I feel it's a kind of dubious area area that we do get into this metafiction that goes on now. But but and so I started to um, think, well, the way to do that is to invent my own pop universe, which which made the whole thing far more fun because I could think up, you know, my own new metal band, my own you know, pop starlet, my own uh, old blues man. But what I couldn't really think was my own superstars that sort of populate the fabric who, when you say their name, you just know who they are, like Madonna, like Elton, and like Bono. And I figured I had to have some of them in there. And so... (laughs) I thought Bono was the safest choice because he'd be the least likely to sue me. Uh, but I also threw in Elton uh, and Sting because, you know, personally, I, I've got on with them very well. Um, but actually, I took out a couple of others like Madonna because I think, you know, you've got a good chance that uh, if they don't like the way they portrayed you, that there'll be a, a legal notice on your doorstep that I just can't afford. <laughs> That's not one of the reward levels is get to see Neil at <laughs> in court with yeah, Madonna. Court. Right. <laughs> yeah. In yeah. court with Madonna though would be quite a good I'd I'd go and see that, wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I I'm curious whether it, I was we're sort of talking about Zero as a as if he is this real pop star, but in, in today's climate, one of the things that pop stars are either either encouraged to do or discouraged to do, depending on your slant, is is getting involved in politics and and things like that and would does zero get involved in that or is that sort of an area you steer clear of in in his no, it's way too narcissistic and uh, self-involved and in fact um there is you know it starts around this moment when there is this 
charity single being recorded for uh, uh, the victims of a natural disaster. And um, and Zero, if I, if I, you know, he's doing it because um, his, he's supposed to do it, because you have to do it, because everybody does it, but he hates it. He thinks it's a complete, you know, it's taking away from his moment in the limelight because he has to sing for all these orphans. Um, it's a kind of di- different way of looking. He's a pretty obnoxious character, I have to say, but it's about a journey from obnoxiousness. And um, uh, so I, in some ways, I wanted to make him about as offensive as I could. And, and in my uh, original draft, I probably made him too offensive. People were reading it with a slight horror and shock. <laughs> I did a reading of this along the way um, when I was at uh, a university in America, a college in America, uh, doing some lecturing. And, and I read from the draft of my book and and uh, I could see the jaw gaping horror <laughs> <laughs> of people who come along to the reading. Uh so I had to get in there and tone that because I actually like this character. I think these damaged people that make uh, pop music, that fill our pop landscape, are you know they are um, often nursing a wound that that is what they need to express in art. What it's what they need to do to heal them, and you know they sing because it's a matter of life and death to them. And that is actually why you hear it in their voices. And it's why uh, some of these more brittle and damaged characters are actually such great pop stars and artists. Now, I'm not saying Bono's that, but he's coming out of that place of pain. And and that's what makes him uh, such a great uh, singer and communicator, you know, because he needs to do it. Yeah, it's it's something. I mean, he's definitely been very public in in terms of when he's singing about or writing about uh, the pain of losing his mother as a child and 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 things like that. And definitely comes from that place. And uh, and whether it's uh, it's required almost in a sense to have something some deep hurt like that that you're working through to be. Uh, in pop or in art, I guess, is it? I don't know if it is absolutely required. I think maybe you can be a complete genius. You know, I don't know what the deep hurt would be in Bob Dylan. He seems to have come from a fairly secure background, for example. Um, you know, we don't know necessarily if, if you know, Shakespeare or Michelangelo were carrying deep, <laughs> deep hurt. I think you can be an artist without it just because you're creativity is triggered on some higher level but i do think art is often the healing balm of psychological wounds and and the artists are not therefore the most well-balanced people great artists maybe you know they need that extra edge yeah i was just thinking about this because saint vincent's got an album out this week, which I've been reviewing. And to me, it is easily her best album because it's the one where all her, her kind of um, quirkiness has been folded into uh, songs that have emotional resonance. And why is that? Because it's about breaking up with her girlfriend. And, you know, that's, you wouldn't go around wishing that upon somebody, 
But it does seem to, you know, those breakup albums do seem to produce a kind of pinnacle art for a lot of people. You know, pain is what we solve with art. Yeah, there's <laughs> before Adele's new album came out, everyone's wondering well, who is she breaking up with in order to have material for this or whatever. And I, I even remember back to my youth and getting into bands like Guns N' Roses and 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 then hearing him talk about Axel talking about the pain of his mother or whatever, and and thinking or maybe it was dad, I can't remember, but I remember as a teenager thinking. Oh, I kind of wish I had something deeper, some deeper, to, yeah. like I, I needed this or whatever. And then, yeah, learning about Bono and, and et cetera. My mother used to, when she read Killing Bono, she said, oh, do you think, do you think we should have treated you worse? <laughs> <laughs> Would that have made you a rock star? <laughs> exactly. That's it. You can see the, the mixed up logic, I guess, in, in, in our youth in, in wishing for more pain, I guess. And somehow people say to me quite often because of killing Bono, Oh, you would like to be Bono. Wouldn't you, you would like his life. I say, I, I would not like to be Bono. No, no, I wouldn't mind living in his house, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I sleep well at night. And uh, the, when you're reading the, is when you're talking about reading the, the draft, I guess, to the, to folks in, in uh, the university, um, does it present itself in an interesting way? Cause they're picturing, I guess I'm, I'm picturing myself listening to you reading it and thinking, okay, I know he knows Bono. I know he knows some other celebrities. This is based on Bono's real life, obviously, or like, you know, how I might interpret it, I guess, hearing you read it. And this is that sort of where some of that reaction maybe came from that obviously, like you've said, it's pulled probably from many your experiences with musicians across many genres and, and not just obviously pulled from Bono's <laughs> diary or whatever. Well, um, you know, it, it's not uh, pulled from Bono at all because he's, you know, he found and, and you two found in certain, I think it's quite interesting what kept them sane in there, in this. And I think partly, you know, it's being in a group and not being a solo artist. I was just watching um, a documentary that's coming out next week of uh, George Michael that he made himself. And he was talking about how fame was easy to handle when he was in Wham! But when he was out on his own, there was no one to turn to, to keep his feet on the ground, to sort of laugh it off. The hysteria became terrifying. And it, it really struck me. He talked about how, as a pop star... As a young, he wanted to join, uh, you know, he had an ambition that he could see that he could become one of these 80s iconic figures that bestraddled pop in the 80s. That was Madonna, Prince, Michael Jackson, and then George Michael. And I thought to myself, wow, he didn't even know this when he's talking and because he is obviously was still alive when he was making the documentary. But actually, Madonna is the only one of those people still alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all died in their 50s. You know, Whitney Houston's gone. But the people who in the bands, the, the iconic figures from the bands, you know, Morrissey and Sting uh, and Bono, who were, you know, similar kind of superstar figures, they're still with us because I think a band protects you. You know, there's there's a number of you to deflect and to the attention to to absorb it together. So there's that. Uh, plus, of course, their religious belief was so strong and profound uh, for three of them at the time that that it meant that they missed all the kind of uh, nefarious sex, drugs and rock and roll stuff that drags people off, uh, you know, off the, the, the path and wears down their energy 
and knocks them around. And by the time they got around to that, you know, <laughs> sort of with Actung Baby and Pop, uh, they were already, you know, mature, married with kids. And, uh, you know, they, they were gr- very grounded. So um, there's not really a lot of uh, Bono or, 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 you know, Larry, for that matter, who went through similar uh, painful background in in there you know the character that i've created is more much more of a volatile character it's it, it it's much more um robbie williams than than bono and uh but it is very much a character that i feel you know when you're a writer they start you do you don't just take a bunch of ticks from people that you've observed you 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 take a bunch of ticks from yourself and from all the things around you and you start to mold a character and then they just start to have a life on the page and that's the great fun of fiction you're not tied to uh, what people actually did and what actually happened and the book really you know i had a premise but it it rattled off it it it, it went places that i didn't expect it to go it was great fun to write, but it ended up somewhere, you know, that was completely different from the 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 model that I had set out. You know, I set out a a plan, but this character wanted to do other things, and so um, uh, to me, Zero became somebody uh, so uh, complete in themselves that I I I can't really think of them in terms of of uh, being modelled on another pop star. However. <laughs> Some of the fun you might have reading it is that all of the other pop stars in the book are modeled on somebody else quite specific um, as they flit in and out. I think, ooh, what would, what would uh, you know, actually Beyonce's not in there, but what would Beyonce be? What would be a good name for Beyonce? What would she be like, for example? Uh, or I might have written, you know, a scene for Chris Martin and then think, uh-oh, there's a lawsuit. So, you know... Uh, <laughs> they transpose into someone else. So you can maybe pick those characters out at your pleasure. That's what I've, I've often heard writers and even songwriters too talk about that idea of a character almost coming to life in there, whether it's, I don't know, in, in your mind, you're picturing them or, or, uh, you know, maybe some of the drug induced writers where it's, <laughs> they're sitting beside you. Um, but at what point in the writing process, I'm curious about where, what point does that character come to life? Like how early in the process, I guess, did zero almost, you know, sort of <laughs> appear to you and, and sort of come off the page as it were? Well, you know, very early in the process, funny enough, I, I wrote a, a, the first chapter I, I wrote and I showed it to my agent and she uh, liked it and said, yeah, I think this is a great idea. This is the way to go. And the, the chapter was about um, the character in his childhood. It was a memory of, something that happened and by the time i had written the book that that chapter shaped the idea of the character uh, but by the time i had written my first draft i thought you know that is completely and utterly extraneous that chapter was written by me for me to shape the character that i'm dealing with and and i really felt for him by the time i'd written that and, and my agent felt for him and people that read it felt for him but it had nothing to do with the story it was just I realized afterwards a character sketch, so I crumpled it up and and you know, I killed my darling, which is what um what 
what writers are always being told to do kill your darlings you know it was um it was a piece of writing that was important to me but was uh extraneous to the novel so he came alive very quickly and probably gave me the um the wherewithal and the energy to write this because it's quite hard you know i'm a guy who writes all the time i i i write for a living i write about music i write for the newspapers uh in the modern day as the as the media environment has accelerated and we're all operating at the speed of twitter and uh and the newspapers i write for are being crushed by the huge online forces of fake news and Facebook and free journalism. Uh, so we get paid less to do more. And my volume of writing over this period, this past uh, 10 years, has has leapt up. At the same time, you know, I'm a full-time father uh, and that was going on. And I've written, a, I've written my own uh, Killing Bonner book and the YouTube by YouTube book. And to 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 sort of put all that aside i'm going out to gigs at night and i'm consuming music all the time and then think right i've done a long day i've just written this and i've written that and i've written the other so what am i going to do now i'm going to sit down and write a book it, it, it's a bit mad really and in order to do that even as slowly as i've done it i i had to care about this this character i had to want him to exist on the page it had to be a pleasure and, and fun thing to write. So instead of it being a drudge to turn the computer screen back on, I could, you know, it got to the point where I could hardly wait to do so. How do you start to write a book? Was this book different than the nonfiction you've written in how you scripted it? When I'm writing a piece of nonfiction, which is what I'm writing most of the time, I um, quickly sketch out, usually very quickly, uh, it used to take me a long time, but it's very fast now. I sketch out, you know, what's the beginning, what's the middle, and what's the end? What are the points I want to make? And I might sketch that out, one, two, three, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and bang, that's my little roadmap. And I follow that roadmap. Uh, it can change, but, you know, I've got a little roadmap, and I'm working on that. And I'm bound by, if it's an interview, I'm bound by the quotes, uh, you know, I'm bound by the facts the stuff that I need to include. With a piece of fiction, you are obviously operating on a completely blank page. But, you know, in some ways, I, I went through the same process of sketching out a roadmap in my head. And I built, I think, an entire edifice, you know, a, a, a framework that I, I, that carried me from beginning to middle and end in my in my head before i wrote down a single word i was just constructing my fictional universe idly uh whilst usually you know last thing at night whilst lying in bed which i don't actually recommend because it just keeps you up all night um, <laughs> and uh, and creating this this scenario i knew what the idea was i knew what the theme was that i wanted to write about because it was a lot to do with the theme that I had um, been writing about in Killing Bono. And, and, you know, I had this idea of the pyramid theory of success, which was that, you know, 
for everyone on the pinnacle, you know, the success is shaped like a pyramid and there's more and more people holding them up until you get to the bottom, the widest level of the pyramid. And, and, um, and in fact, uh, I think uh, my first notes for the whole book was that the title was the pyramid theory. Um, and, uh, Killing Bono is written from the perspective of somebody who's at the bottom of that pyramid. And uh, Zero is written from the perspective of somebody who's at the top of the pyramid. You know, looking down in a state of nausea. Because as we have seen around us, as we all know, you know, it's not even the vaguest secret. You know, fame is an appalling thing for the human spirit. It, it, <laughs> It's just nobody should be famous. Never wish this upon your child. Um, so, you know, I knew what I wanted to write about. And I sketched in my head. But when I started writing, you know, something strange and wonderful happened, which is that the book just expanded. It, it, it didn't follow my map. It was nice to have a roadmap. But, you know, in, in this um, fictional world as opposed to the non-fictional world i didn't have to follow the roadmap i didn't have to follow the facts if i if i wanted it change direction i could just change direction the characters could say what i wanted them to say instead of what you know the people in real life <laughs> had said to me and that each um just like in um the way we live our life things just bounced off each other and ricocheted and um, and it just took on a life and a journey of its own, which was, you know, tremendously fun to write. I mean, there were times when I was sitting writing in a kind of dizzy days of happiness, chuckling, you know, laughing at my own <laughs> jokes because I hadn't heard them before. You know, they were coming out of these characters' mouths. And so... Um, it was in that way. It was a tremendously different experience uh, of writing, and always felt energizing instead of depleting. That's great. So, do you think you'll do more fiction again since it was that much fun? Yeah, well, you know, I've already written another uh, novel, um, which I am really happy with. But uh, I wanted to give this one a chance to breathe before I push that out into the world. Because, sure. you know, um, I don't like, um, you know, nothing great ever came of keeping something in a drawer. <laughs> That's right. what I've found. I've made a lot of music over the years that I didn't put out for one reason or another. And then when I did put out an album, finally, uh, as the ghost to walks, uh, some song, all these songs and music I had recorded that that I hadn't put out. Suddenly I put it out into the world and it's not that it, it, it set the world on fire or made me a star or anything, but it was out in the world and people started to come back to me about this song or that song that they loved it. But also Mel Gibson somehow got a copy of that album and, <laughs> and he uh, loved it. And so then I ended up getting a call from Mel Gibson's office asking me if he could use one of the songs in a film and um you know that was just amazing because because if that that song had been in my my um desk drawer still the it would never have that that moment would never happen and it ended up on you know a compilation album that mel gibson put out uh the song was harm's way the, 
it was the compilation album was songs inspired by the passion of the Christ. And it ended up there between, you know, Leonard Cohen and Nick Cave with Bob right. Dylan bringing up the rear. And, you know, that was where I always thought I was destined to be. <laughs> it's the only time I ever got <laughs> into those exalted heights. And so um, it's about getting it out of the world where it has a chance to to live in its own its own right. Which kind of goes back to or a question I was going to ask you about the decision to crowdfund it instead of going the traditional route of um, submitting it to an editor and a publishing house and et cetera. Um, what was the sort of motivation behind doing doing it, uh, I guess, in the modern era, uh, <laughs> funded way? <laughs> well, okay. Well, let's be honest here. Nobody wanted to publish it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> crowdfunding is the last resort of we scoundrels out here in writing. Actually, what happened was, if I had written this after, I straight after I wrote I Was Bonus Doppelganger, if I had banged on and just done it, it would have been fine and it would have come out, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, but I had the idea. I started working on my age and was excited about it. But Bono asked me to write U2 by U2 because the project was already, that project was already up and going and, and, uh, but they were a bit stuck and he thought I was the person to solve that. And that was supposed to take, you know, nine months or something. It took two years. You know, time trekked on, and um, and I still hadn't written my novel. Although I talked to him about it during the uh, the experience of writing YouTube by YouTube, which is where he came up with the title, because its original title was Motherless Child, and my agent had told me that was a bad title for a book, and for a book of this kind, because she said, "Oh, that's a woman's title," and you know. You don't want a woman's title. Well, I didn't think that, but that's, I, I listened and, you know, I was talking to Bono about it and he said, um, what's the character called? And I said, zero. And he said, that's your title right there. You know, that is a title. So, um, so I took his advice on that occasion. He had also told me to kill, I was Bono's doppelganger to call that, sorry, uh, killing Bono, which is obviously good advice since that's the one that the American publisher and the filmmaker liked. So I, I went with that. So when I returned to writing it uh, which and completed it, I had been out of writing for, you know, I hadn't had a book published for a few years. My agent, uh, my my publisher had changed. My editor at, at, at Penguin was gone. And I started to learn some rather harsh truths about the publishing world, which I think are, you know, I know a lot about the music world, but I had a lot to learn about the publishing world. And it's, it's a kind of truth that upset everybody that I speak to that reads books. But when I talk to writers, they go, yeah, the publishing world is worse than the music industry. It is more genre defined. Uh, it gets, it's got a lower hit rate, something like 8% of books make a, a profit and they have to pay for everything else. And it is absolutely subdivided by genre. Um, you know, it's why when you go into, uh, not a great bookshop, but you know, just a, like a standard place, a big news agent place where they've got just the best sellers, all the covers look the same, all the fantasy books 
have the same cover, the same letterings, the same dragons and whatever on them. All the thrillers have the same silhouetted figure, the same lettering, the same color, because branding is um, total. The only place where that doesn't exist is in literary fiction, and literary fiction, my book's not literary. You know, it's not about uh, the high-minded ideals of language. And I started to hear people, the book was being well received in the sense that publishers were looking at it and holding on to it and giving written reports and discussing it. And all the time I started to hear the same thing coming back, which would be people don't read books about novels, about the music business. Uh, And that's because I presume that they've taken a bath on a couple of books that they've put out that haven't been a big success. And then they decide. That's not a genre. Right. They also were saying something which is absolutely appalling. Men don't read books. The number of people that said that to me, I I was shocked by because I'm a man and I read a lot of books. But the mass, according to the publishing industry, the mass uh, buying public of when it comes to men that they read nonfiction and they read genre fiction but they don't go in for that blurring of the lines that the female readers do. So they've kind of decided these things. And so my book was knocking around for a while. In the meantime, I've been writing another one, a completely different novel, which I'm really pleased with. It's been occupying me, but I've still had this book that I loved that a lot of people that had read it, the few people that had read it loved and that I thought was the right book for me. Uh, and somebody introduced me uh to unbound that was um the 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 dj uh, simon mayo and unbound are doing what um what crowdfunding sites have been doing in the music business for the last 10 years you know i've got used to crowdfunding in the music in, in the music business a lot of great records come out through crowdfunded sites by a lot of great artists um and so i spoke to them and they were keen to do it what what they do is they do a version it's a beautifully mounted version they have to first of all decide that they want to do it themselves because they don't take on everything and uh, their editors they're they've got a company that ha- is putting out award-winning books but they are tied up to penguin and so basically they are like um you're like the indie record label that is um is a satellite of a major and then uh, the, when when the India has done all the work, <laughs> got the book together, published it and put it out there, the major then picks it up for nothing and puts out its own version and makes all the money. <laughs> so that is a long answer, but you know it's 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 the truth. Uh, Unbound is a fantastic place that publishes books that no one else would publish, uh, which is kind of what a publisher should be um it's got an eclectic uh list of stuff that does not fit in the box and uh my book apparently doesn't fit i'm not genre i don't fit in the box of which i think i should be proud yeah it's a it's a good uh you can put that on the on your twitter byline or whatever does not fit into a box or a genre yeah so for folks who are interested in uh in supporting you at, uh, like I had mentioned earlier, unbound.com slash books slash zero is where you can go find out about these levels. But some of the interesting things that you 
levels you chose. And I'm curious just how you decided on some of these. And maybe it was just sort of random <laughs> throwing stuff up there to see what, what sticks for people. But um, of course, the basic level of 25 pounds to get a hard copy plus an ebook, and, and you get your name in, in the back of the book. Um, 40 pounds for a rock and roll paraphernalia, paraphernalia pack of 10 promo CDs that you presumably have stacks and stacks of around the office. Um, the uh, Of interest to you two fans, maybe the 500 pound killing Bono level, which doesn't allow you to kill Bono, but just is the Killing Bono book and CD, your, the CD that you mentioned, The Ghost Who Walks, a uh, signed copy of the YouTube by YouTube book that you helped write and uh, a bunch of other stuff. And so um, I guess if, if there's anything that you'd want to mention, I guess the, the other one that was kind of interesting was the $100 or 100 pounds, sorry, uh, launch party in London, getting to sort of, uh, there's a presumably going to be some sort of band presenting some of the songs that are written inspired by by zero and, and maybe just talk i guess about what that is going to look like or how that cd is coming about or where that music is coming from yeah well you know the levels thing is that this is how you work in the area of crowdfunding people have to pledge and i you don't really know i mean this is my first time doing it and i don't really know you kind of think well what are people what can i offer you know, I can offer a journalism masterclass, which I believe Tasula signed up for. I sure and, did. <laughs> uh, because that's what I know. And, you know, a few people have signed up for that. And I can offer a load of memorabilia and tat that I acquire in my life because I, you know, I sit in this office surrounded by stuff with new stuff coming in. Everybody sends me their records. They send me um the promo material to go with the records and and i get lanyards and vip passes as i wander about and i've become very blasé about all of this but i do notice that people come into the office and go "Ooh, there's a you know a 360 backstage pass oh there's a glastonbury pass from here you know they're quite excited about things that i take for granted so i thought i could dish out some of that stuff but uh and that 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 um that kind of member the um uh, the promo CDs and memorabilia stuff seems to be going down very well. Nobody signed up for the Killing Bono package yet, which is a bit expensive. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have to twist Bono's arm and get him to sign the books, and then uh, they'll be gone in in a shot. <laughs> I haven't asked him to do that, but I think I'm going to. He 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 said whatever you need, so I think I need. To. I need to get some 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 bonus scribbles on things. So um, the, the 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 launch party. Obviously, we're going to have a launch party. So you know, if you want to come along, you can sign up for that. And yeah, the music. We'll be playing music there from the film. What from the book? Well, the fact is, you know, I've written a book set in the pop world. It's it's full of lyrics, snatches of lyrics, and and it's full of made up artists and song titles, uh, which I had you know huge fun uh, coming up with. But being a songwriter and a musician, it's almost impossible for me not to, to, you know, to write down a title and a couple of lyrics and not end up strumming it on a guitar and thinking, oh, that's how that'd go. And, you know, you write a blues song, you think, oh, what would a blues song sound like? And you write a hip hop song and then you have fun uh, making up hip hop lyrics. And, and so, you know, I've got these songs, which now at the moment only exist as me strumming an acoustic guitar and tormenting my family but i do know a lot of musicians uh and i started thinking you know i could get this person to record that song that would that would be great and i could get that person to do this and so in my head i've made this record already i haven't actually made it 
Uh, but I'm going to, I'm going to dragoon all the talented people I know uh, to, to give me their time for free and, and, we, and create this imaginary, um, this imaginary uh, alternative pop soundtrack. Um, because, you know, because, because I can hear the songs and so and now you're going to have to. And when we get to the party, <laughs> um, uh, my own band, Groovy Dad, has volunteered their, their time. And uh, the guitarist and Groo- Groovy Dad was my first reader, really. He read the book and, and absolutely he was so encouraging and loved it that, um, that he, he sort of encouraged me to continue with it. But there's various people. I haven't asked Bono to get his kazoo uh, Yeah, You know, Bono was very, um, uh, he really loved I Found God off my album. He loved that song. And, and he had said to me, I wrote that song. You know, he was so jealous of it in a way. Uh, although I, there's plenty of his songs I feel, you know, very much the same about. But, um, but I, I thought it would be amazing to record I Found God with Bono singing the God parts. Because, uh, <laughs> People do think, say he thinks he's God, so uh, it would have been his chance. But I think he felt that was a little too close to bone, but he did say he'd come and play Kazoo on it. Um, personally, I thought, you know, Kazoo wasn't the direction that we were going in. Um, <laughs> and so, <laughs> and it probably probably um, he can't go in very many other directions these days. And I think his harmonica playing is certainly better than he claims it is. I've been enjoying his harmonica yeah. playing on this tour, so you know that shtick is getting old. That. I'll tell yeah. <laughs> and is there a is there a timeline for for folks needing to get involved? Is, uh, is it sort of like Kickstarter with you know an end date, or how does Unbound work in regards to that kind of stuff? Not obviously well, sooner than sooner than later. Um, you know, so the sooner the better. You know, it, it's hit fifty two percent, I think, uh, and that's in two and a half weeks. So. Um, it's moving along uh, at a at a good pace. I mean, in fact, it's very very high level of response for Unbound themselves. So mm-hmm. I, I expect and hope that we're just going to roll this ball down the hill now and get to the other fifty percent. <laughs> uh, but we will keep funding it then because um, actually. Uh, you could until it comes out. You can sign up, not necessarily for the for uh, some of the pledges, but which will be withdrawn. But you know, certainly to get the book, uh, which will be the first edition, and to come to the launch party and things like that, those will still be there. But um, uh, so you know, we can fund it more than a hundred percent. We don't have to cut it off. But really, we need to get to hundred percent because if it doesn't get to the hundred percent. Then it just it just dies. I mean, it basically says, well, there's not enough people interested at this level. Then you know, then why go why go further? But uh, you know, I'm pretty confident we'll get there with them. Um, can start. It's marketing board of readers any- everywhere. Anybody who likes books about music, that's what I think. Yeah, I think that's where proving the uh, publishers wrong. There aren't particularly the men out there. I guess if they're saying, like you said earlier, that men don't read uh, what was a genre crossing fiction or something like uh, proves yeah. uh, the publishers wrong. Because I know there's, <laughs> I know well, I'm a man and I read that kind of book, and uh, I know there's YouTube fans who, regardless of their connection, whether there's any Bono in the book at all, <laughs> which you said there is, but. Uh, the book will be interesting and fun as a fan of music, as a fan of celebrity, as a fan of 
just culture in general. And uh, um, yeah, I think it's definitely folks need to get out there and, and support stuff like this. Um, so like I said earlier, unbound.com slash books slash zero. We're going to keep Neil on the line until it's funded, I guess is what we're, this is like a 24 hour <laughs> fundraising effort. Is there a way, is there a way for people to buy a pledge as a gift for someone? Cause Christmas is coming up. Indeed. That's a very good idea. Uh, you should be my marketing person to see Well, you know, uh, I need work. I'm, I'm out of work right now. So <laughs> say the word. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you can, of course, you can, well, you can pledge in someone else's name, uh, as well as as your own, uh, which, um, I, I do believe a couple of people have done. So, um, yes, of course there is. And, you know, I need to look at it and see where we're going with the pledges. And I think that, um, I think we could, uh, uh, we could, well, we'll announce this actually, because I have talked to Unbound about this. I said a lot of our sports coming from abroad. So. Uh, where postage and packing is a little bit high, um, so I think uh, we're going to add, and you can you can have this first, a zero international uh, promo code, which will give you five uh, percent off. Oh, that's cool! Um, if you're coming from uh, abroad, uh, that is as in not the UK, where uh, the Post and packaging is much cheaper. That makes sense. I hadn't even thought about that, but people may have worried about that. So that's a good thing to bring up. When you do that, when you have the album out, uh, or you're putting together the album, I guess the, of the music side of things, uh, digital slash streaming versions of that as well as sort of in the in the cards. Well, the album will be um, will be a, an exclusive for those who care to um, take that particular pledge right, the, with the with down. its cover and song, but yeah. But uh, some of the tracks may uh, start to creep out in in other ways. Who knows? It's all it's all to be plotted and schemed for. Yeah, I guess we have to. You, you still have to. You, like you said, you've got some of the sketches of the songs in in your head or in, on page maybe, and uh, need to get them get the folks lined up with their kazoos and harmonicas they to record. They need to be damn good. They need to be damn good. That's one. Of the, you know, I've I've created this character, and he's actually. Um, a global superstar because he's so brilliant. <laughs> and uh, so, and, and some of these songs have been number one smashes. So I've, it's not like I've set myself a little task. And I've been trying to think, who do I know who can sing as well as I've described him singing? I do actually know a couple of fantastic singers uh, and I've got to dragoon them into it because I, I, I don't have the range to hit his notes. I'll tell you that. Yeah, if this really takes off, are you going to take zero on tour? The album, <laughs> not the book. Obviously, the book will be on tour, but. <laughs> uh, no, you know, when um, when uh, Killing Bono was, uh, the film was happening, there was some interest in um, reviving Shook Up. My brother was saying, oh, you know, we're being offered money to go and play some dates here, play dates there. Do you want to get the band back together? And how do you feel about that going on the road? And I said, you know, there isn't enough money. There aren't enough wild horses <laughs> in the world left to drag me uh, down a motorway in a high ace van um, to play some dodgy uh, toilet in the middle of England. <laughs> you know, uh, though those in my youth 
I loved all that, but yeah, I have a pretty satisfying life as a writer and uh, TV broadcaster and, you know, going out to gigs, coming home and sleeping in my bed at night. Um, yeah, unless I can travel in Bono's jet. And, <laughs> and I think we'd in, all gone you know, to him for that. <laughs> Um, I, I, I think the chance of me getting back out on the road are very slim. Well, the, that was one of my, my questions, I guess. And I think you've sort of answered it in the, in the discussion here is when the idea of like, when you've got some free time, do you reach for the pen or the guitar to, to relax, uh, on an evening? I, I, I'm often playing the guitar, um, and, you know, keeping my, my, my fingers nimble in that way. But generally, I end up writing a song rather than, you know, I get bored playing my old, my old songs and I can't really play anybody else's songs. So I end up writing new ones. Um, I, I read a lot. You know, I love to read and I don't have enough time to read. Uh, and yeah, there isn't enough hours in the day. I've got so much work to do, so much writing to do, so much music to listen to. Uh, it's very real, you know, my idea of a break from that is, you know, to dive into a good book. And, uh, at the moment I've been reading a biography of Ted Hughes and his entire collected works of poetry, you know, it, it's a pretty sizable and that leads me into other things. And then I, you know, I pick up, picked up a copy of grief is a thing with feathers. It's a book inspired by Ted Hughes crow. And I want to read that. And, uh, and meanwhile, you know, I, uh, I'm a terrible man. I, I shouldn't be allowed into a bookshop because there's already piles of books um, all over my desk and all um, up next to my bed and, and glittering tables. And then I walk past a secondhand bookshop and come out with some more to add to it. So, yeah. Um, which is why, you know, I think there are too many books and uh, there are too many books in the world already. And, um, and yet here I am attempting to add to their number. Uh, it's the curse of the reader and the writer. Right. Does, uh, does zero going back to zero in, in sort of wrapping up, I guess, does zero read? Do you think, does he have time to read? Uh, yeah, his own reviews <laughs> and he never forgets the bad ones. Yeah. Well, that's, is there a Neil McCormick in the zero universe that reviews? Is, do you have your own sort of version of yourself in there? He comes across a couple of critics, and I did think of going completely meta and and <laughs> uh, and interviewing him myself. Um, but actually, uh, yeah, I, th I think that would be too far and too egotistical. I'd either have to be—I'd have to be really mean about myself because otherwise, people would think I'm just stroking my own ego with all the great questions I'd be firing at him. Um, yeah, there are music journalists in the book. I don't know if my music journalist friends will forgive me for the portrait of them, but because uh, <laughs> I have great sympathy for our trade. But I know that when you're on the receiving end of an interview, a lot of people look out at the people um, asking them questions, us, in other words, with a kind of barely disguised or quite well disguised, but beneath the surface, a barely disguised loathing. Uh, for the idiocy of the questions we fire at them. Well, before we, I know you need to run time, need to run to promote the book. I do. I'm pacing up to Dan now. Uh, I've got five minutes before I have to dash and pick my son 
what what are the best what's the last the quick fires yeah i teased our the on twitter about uh watching there's a you did a wonderful promo video on unbound that folks can watch about why and where the book came from you tell a story of there's also some about the death mask yeah the face on the on the shelf that's me uh that is me so my uh my uh, dearly beloved um, used to be a makeup artist she's now an acupuncturist and uh, when she was um, learning about makeup artistry way back in the midst of time uh, she was learning about making prosthetic masks and so on and she wanted to experiment and I have always been her father for experimentation so I sat there and she wrapped my face in in bandages and and emerged with a plaster cast and then um and then made from that uh my death mask which i then uh painted and so um there it stands on my desk where i can look at myself (laughs) as a corpse just to remind myself that time is running out That's a, that's yeah, some sort of ego crossed with yeah, death. Uh, there was some, <laughs> some people who in our, our YouTube group, they were asking, thinking as I, I posted to them as well and, uh, thinking maybe it was some rock star that you had the face of or, or whatever. And people said it looked like Michael Stipe maybe, or, uh, Aaron Paul. I thought it looked like Aaron Paul. Yeah. yeah from, from Breaking Bad. <laughs> we want to thank you, Neil, for, uh, for coming on the show and, and answering our questions about zero. We, we definitely wish you all the best in, in the crowdfunding campaign. And, uh, I'll say it once again, unbound.com slash books slash zero. Um, any other things you, uh, you want to plug mention, We'll have links to all the stuff you do <laughs> in the show notes, of course, so people can find. Right now, I'm just uh, concentrating on on this uh, this novel, wondering what I've got myself into. Um, <laughs> it's been a pleasure to write, and if I hope we can make a success of it, so that uh, so that I can write uh, many more. You know, it's tough out here in the arts, and um, it's not getting any easier because, you know, we're in a moment of paradigm change and uh, crowdfunding has become uh, a way that, that, that artists of any kind are having to um, respond to the, 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 the changing dynamics. So this is my first attempt and uh, I'm having fun, but I have to see how it goes mm-hmm. if we're going to have any more. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think I have no doubt you'll be successful here in this one and um look forward to reading the book and then seeing what else comes out uh next and maybe there'll be a, someone else will write I guess a friend of yours I don't know how this gets too meta maybe but a killing zero book will come out somehow <laughs> that will yeah. be in response or or something like that but thanks again Neil and uh we look forward to chatting with you again and uh we'll keep all the YouTube fans the listeners of the the podcast up to date on what's going on and people can visit at ut.com to find out when the book is out and the crowdfunding campaign is over and all that kind of stuff so thank you everybody for listening and we'll see you again next time